Here we go. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good evening, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of Kelly Outdoors. I almost forgot who I was there. <laughs> Not a good sign. Um, I'm a little giddy because we've actually got snow on the ground right now. This stuff called moisture, which we haven't had Kansas like forever. And so we've actually got some moisture out on the ground, and it's kind of cool. Um, of course, I was in the ditch like three times today because I, 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 I figured today would be a good time to uh, make sure my four-wheel drive was working, and guess what? It's not. So <laughs> It was an interesting afternoon, to say the very least. But uh, we've got a we've got a very special guest with us here tonight. And I'm going to do a little preamble ramble here. Um, many of you know that years ago they they reintroduced the uh, timber wolf into Yellowstone National Park to kind of control uh, the exploding population of elk, and uh, they figured what better way than to bring back in one of the apex predators, which was the wolf. The other apex predator up there uh, was man at one time. And uh, man pretty well kept, you know, the herds of elk in control and, and also the herds of uh, wolves in control. And finally the wolves were eradicated, actually not completely eradicated, but they were very small in number, um, which was brought about by relentless hunting and trapping and poisoning and everything else because the wolves found out it's easier to catch a cow or a sheep uh, than it is an elk or a bison. And so consequently the, the local ranchers had enough of the wolves and they took care of them. Well, several years ago, a bunch of well-meaning people with what was thought to be very intelligent decision-making on the part of the fish and game people up there in in those parts of the world uh, decided to reintroduce the wolf. And in doing so, uh, they didn't reintroduce the North American timber wolf up there that was native to there. Uh, Instead, they went up into the Yukon and brought back this Sherman tank wolf or Panzer, or M1A1, whatever you want to call it. And it has basically repopulated the wolf. It's it filled the, the wolf niche up there. There's no longer the other apex predator being able to hunt them, which is man. And they have pretty much decimated the elk herds inside of Yellowstone. And this last summer I had a, an interesting conversation with a young lady that was a river rafting guide um, in Colorado, and she explained to us the reason that the wolves were so necessary is because the aspens were getting eaten uh, left and right, and the elk were running rampant over the aspens, and that um, they were destroying the the habitat up there. And so, she, as far as she was concerned, you know, all the elk could die. I mean, she was just like, you know, the the aspens are so important to that you know ecosystem. And I thought, well, what about the elk? What about you know everything else? I mean, you know, and and she was all about the the wolves. It, it was you know the it was the wolves. And I've had Scott Rockholm on the, on the show before. And Scott has, has told a lot of you guys about what's going on up there with, with the elk and stuff. And, well, you know, you, you stand out there on a stump and you tell people and you preach to people and you warn people about what's going to happen, what could happen, what's likely to happen. And everybody just kind of points a finger and laughs and goes, oh, there's another crazy guy. You know, get on the tinfoil hats. And, uh, you know, the folks in Idaho, uh, they don't have to listen anymore because it's it's happened to them. They're there. Uh, Wyoming and Montana are the same way. Well, now... We seem to have a problem with, with these things moving into other areas where there's very little uh, opportunity for them to be whacked by man, and that's Washington and Oregon, and uh, eventually Northern California. So anyway, Scott came on the other day after I interviewed Ted Nugent, and we'll be listening to a replay of that, that show again tonight. Um, and we had some interesting conversation about what was going on, and I asked him to come on tonight. So enough of my gum flapping. Scott, welcome to the show, man. Glad to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me, Kelly. I appreciate it. So tell me what's going on, and I mean, 
you know, I don't care how how black helicopter controversial weird it might sound. Tell tell the folks out there what's really going on and what the real game plan is here with these wolves. Well, the in order for anybody to understand wolves, and I mean, it's almost to the point now where most listeners, most readers, see anything that has to do with wolves, and they're galvanized by it. They don't, they're not as affected as they used to be when they when they used to read information about wolves. Um, but it, in the last couple of years, we've had some great success as far as uh, bringing to light uh, a how they introduced the wolves illegally, uh, and B, the effects of what they did, the corruption in the process. Now, I, I'm a realist, and I understand that there's there's flaws in anything that we do as men, but there's one one factor, especially with hunters, um, and, and, and our love for hunting and our passion for hunting and our heritage of hunting is, is that for, for 70 to 80 years, most of the states operated under the North American model of wildlife, wildlife conservation. It was a, a proven successful method of managing wildlife. It produced the greatest herds ever known to mankind. And at the same time, just like you were talking about with that rafter person, uh, that woman on the river, this 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 whole wolf introduction, wolf dynamic, uh, trophic cascade or tropic cascades, however you want to pronounce it, this is, this is a relatively new uh, uh, paradigm within wildlife management. What they did is they, they said, look, um, these people behind the scenes uh, had their little meetings in Washington, D.C. and other places, and they said, look, we don't, we don't really like hunting, and, and you know, the, I think that we need to use uh, uh, predators to manage wildlife, and we'll basically go into this um, balance of nature idea. So they went on, and I mean, and I'm, I'm really shortening, I'm condensing this story, but what they did was is they created, they invented um, the idea of having this apex predator reintroduced. Well, this wasn't a reintroduction because in order to have a reintroduction uh, and to to invent a reason for that inter- reintroduction was because of the elk were har- harming the, the aspens and the underbrush and, and, and all of these myths that they created. And, and that would be known as a conspiracy. But the fact is... It was an introduction. They brought in a wolf from northern Canada. It never existed here. Our, our resident wolf at that time was Canis lupus irremotus. Now, one of the important things to remember is that the recovery goal when they made all of this big giant plan was 100 wolves. If we had 100 wolves in Idaho, 100 wolves in Montana, and 100 wolves in Wyoming, everything would be, that would be utopia. That's what they sold to the legislators at the time. Well, what we didn't know then uh, what most people didn't know back th- back then and what most people don't know now is that we were darn close to that 100 number with our resident wolf at that period, verified by a man by the name of Tim Kimmery, who was a trapper at that time. He did the work for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service also verified other numbers. Long story short, they introduced the wolves, they jammed them down our throats, and uh, and and and. And we're isolated. It's like we live on an island with a moat around the state of Idaho. And the reason I say that is, is that you cross that border into Washington and Oregon, neighboring states, right on the border, and none of those folks knew what was going to happen to them. They were right next door, reading the reports, watching the cries from the people, and watching the damage uh, compound over time, and they did nothing. 
Now the problem is spreading to them, and their states have adopted wolf introduction programs as well. And, and, and this thing is just a monster, and it has nothing to do with wolves whatsoever. The people that promote them don't care about wolves. The people that, that use them for their battle cry don't care about wolves. This is a, this is a goal to shut down hunting. And, and I'm, I say that because the minions that push it, the, the underlings, the people that are on the Internet, the people that are writing in the newspapers, those people don't, they don't care about that wolf. If they cared, they would understand the dynamic that, that every species on Earth needs, and that is uh, resupply of food. Wolves, by their nature, <clears throat> cannot function in that manner. They eat until everything is gone, and they either die or move. So they sterilize the environment. So those people promote this wolf, you know, under the guise of saying, we care more than you do about wildlife, and we want everything to be balanced. And then they move on. They go, you know, once they realize, <clears throat> you know, these people realize that the damage has already taken place, they've done their work, they've infested an area like Idaho, and I said, Idaho is huge. And after that damage is gone, they all move on, their little nonprofit organizations and all their efforts and everything they do, this move to a different state. And they, they don't reinvent what they did. They use the same exact tactics, exact, exact tactics to do the same thing over. And it never, ever ends. It's perpetual. So that's the nutshell, and it's probably confusing to a lot of people. But I'll tell you, it's, this is a much bigger effort to shut down hunting than most people realize. Right. Well, when – okay, I know you gave us the – the Latin name for the wolf. What What is the common name? Is it the gray timber wolf? Is that what it is up there that was originally? The Rocky Mountain wolf. Okay. And what's the average weight of one of those things? Full grown. The animal. average weight. Well, we it's it's hard to it's hard to find the average weights of, of, in comparison. But uh, Goldman and Young produced uh, science uh, for many years before this wolf introduction. And I'd say around sixty four pounds, sixty five pounds in that range. There were some that was a little bit larger, and I have interviewed folks that uh, did see a little bit larger wolves, but it, it's, you know, it, I don't think it's so much the size. I mean, we, yes, these new wolves that they brought down are much, much bigger, and I've seen them with my own eyes. I have them on my property. I witnessed it, and, and that's not the problem. It's the hunting dynamic. It's, their, it's the way these animals, the, their, their personalities, their traits, what they've uh, evolved to be over time because of the, the country they come from. You know, northern Canada is pretty vast. Well, and the thing, I, the, re, the reason I'm getting at that, the reason I'm asking, is because the weight ratio to the wolf size. I mean, it's 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 comparative when you start looking at the size of prey that they can take down effectively. I mean, a 65 or 70 pound wolf, two or three of them aren't going to go and try to tackle a full grown you know bull moose. That that ain't yeah. going to happen. Uh, but if you've got if you've got like the ones like you're talking about from the Yukon that weigh anywhere from a hundred and twenty five to hundred and seventy pounds, yeah, I could see four or five of those real easy doing that. I mean it it's like the the dynamics of a of a Mercedes Benz crashing into one of those little moped things versus a Volkswagen Beetle crashing into it. I mean it's you know, there is there is that to consider. But you know what what you're talking about, it's not apples to apples, it's apples to oranges. They didn't they didn't replace a 65, 75-pound wolf with another 65 or 75-pound wolf. They they took out the the garden lizard and replaced it with a velociraptor. It's basically what. Yeah, and then you then on top of, on top of that, Kelly, what they you know you have to understand that with the place that they came from didn't have the densities of wildlife, the ungulates, the the food. 
that mm-hmm. we have. So then you take these animals, you dump them in an area, and it's like putting them on steroids. I mean, that's they are well-fed, uh, well-charged machines to the point where they don't just kill for food. They're killing an equal amount of number each uh, just to kill them. And I have, uh, I don't know, probably a good, oh, I mean, solid good footage, uh, hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes where the wolves are just killing and leaving them lay in the field. And these are bull elk. That they're that they're killing, and and this is you know they're they're kind of like they're spoiled. They're they're living on the spoils of all the abundance of wildlife. Wow. Hey, just real quickly, there was somebody that was just on the call in line that had a question for you, and they got dropped. It wasn't it wasn't a mechanical error. It wasn't the computer. It was me playing with my stupid mouse. So, if you're out there and you're still listening and you want to talk to Scott and have a question, please call back in. I'm sorry, it was me that nuked you. Okay, I'm not going to take the the chicken dobber way out and blame technical difficulties. It was me being a retard, okay? Short Bus Kelly. That's my name, Short Bus Kelly. So anyway, okay. Well, you know, a lot of people, when when I'm sure you get some wild-eyed reactions when you tell people um, that these things were introduced to, to curtail hunting, and they think, eh, there's no way, you know. Tell, tell us some of the stories. I've got that caller. Do you want to take any calls tonight or not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. Caller, it's the same guy. Recognize the area code and the prefix. I'm sorry I dropped you, dude. It was my fault, or ma'am, whichever you are. Do you have a question for Scott? Area code 208, you got, you're got you on the air. Okay. Hello? You're on the air. Okay. Well, we'll just go back to... Sometimes right. there's problems like that. I hear you. No big deal. Um, anyway, um, oh my God, what was I thinking? My train of thought just derailed. Um, yeah, when when you tell people that they did it to eliminate hunting, what what is the reaction? Well, it, at first people can't believe it, but when I when I tell them of the stories of the folks that I've interviewed, especially in Montana, and this is you have to remember, there's a handful of people that have been fighting this for years and years. And uh, one of them would be John Renee Walters, their their uh, husband and wife that have been fighting for years in Idaho. My good friend uh, Bob Fanning in Montana, and I've interviewed these folks, and they have been, and they're going to all these meetings and and conferences, and they're listening to the experts, and at the same time, the hierarchy and all the non governmental organizations, all the hierarchy from the federal government, they're all sitting at these tables, slopping at the trough, and they're all, it's like a big love in. I mean, they're all just, they're gleeful. They're having their wolf introduction. Millions and millions of dollars are pumped into these programs, and they're living high on the hogs, so they're pretty sloppy with their secrecy of how they pulled it off. And and one of the folks that was responsible uh, for this uh, damage, as I interviewed Bob Fanning, he was telling me the story. He says, look, a woman reads across the table telling Dr. Taylor, look, you, you know, we're not. it's not about wolves. This is about taking 30,000 ranchers off of public land. You know that it, when when you hear stuff like that from the very people that are responsible for for introducing wolves, you know. I mean, you start putting the pieces together, and it doesn't you know it doesn't take long to figure out the pattern. And I banter with folks, and I have for uh, about five, six years, seven years on the internet, and they'll flat tell me. The, the I'm talking about the underlings. These are the little guys out there that some are paid by the NGOs like the Centers of Wildlife and other places. And they're out there on the Internet to disseminate lies 
But at the same time, they like to gloat and come to me and maybe send me a private message on Facebook or maybe through my YouTube channel and say, look, uh, we're winning. We're killing all your elk. Uh, you're not going to be hunting. And I had one guy come send me private message after private message telling me that, hey, you just better face it. Your hunting's over with. Public land grazing's over with. And uh, we won. And, and, and on top of that, you have to look at, you have to separate this wolf issue, but it's all the same same problem. We also have a problem with logging. Public land use in the West is the what funds our communities. So these very these people that are fighting us uh, use land access. They shut down logging. All of those people tie into this wolf issue, uh, public land grazing issue, and they they really pump that wolf up because they know that's another way to shut us down. And they have no bones about telling me so. Well, you know, they've used a lot of different uh, techniques out there on federal land in the Dakotas to try to shut down uh, all the oil industry, okay? And, sure. and environmentalists can scream bloody murder all they want about the horrible oil industry. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to tell you, in the big scheme of things, mankind and all the stupid stuff we can do, including nuking everything on the planet twice over until it's just a, a heap of ash, is not going to do anything to Mother Earth, except for a cause her to yawn, shake it off, and move on to the next species. Period. You know, but but these guys, it's it's like you know, they drive me nuts. You know, they're oh, we can't have oil, we can't have. What do you? How do you propose that we move our society forward? Five hundred years ago, it was timber. Okay, now it's oil. All right, and and I mean, just you, they don't think. I mean, every day they don't realize that every day that they're using something based on a petroleum product. You know, I bet you can't throw a rock anywhere in your house. And not hit something that was originally a bucket of oil, you know, twenty five hundred feet underneath the surface of the, of the of the land at one time, you know. But they get on these kicks, and then of course, where they introduce these wolves, you know, um, that's brilliant. I mean, it's it's almost as brilliant as having the the biologists and the botanists and the zoologists out there combing the the creeks and the and the streams and the whatever looking for. You know the three-eyed salamander with the with the widgeon wing newt tail or something. You know it's extremely rare, so we can't you know run cattle in this creek because you'll kill them. You know, so they're doing the wolf to to come to that means. You know, and it's crazy. Um, well, I have a I have a document uh, that was given to me by a, a friend, um, a, a new friend that I met during the fight, and she had sent to me in the mail a folder, a three-inch thick folder. And it's uh, titled the Wildlands Project. It is a uh, a study. It's a study materials guide um, that was put together by Earth First. And uh, if anybody understands Earth First, they're the most radical uh, environmental group out there. But they are very organized, very well trained, and they they developed a plan how to shut these lands down. And the number one key thing that they use is predators. Now, I'm not talking just wolves. I'm talking grizzly bears, wolves, mountain lions, whatever whatever tool they have of choice at that time, whatever would fit the narrative for the land use. And, and I, you know, I have that now. And when I first began fighting this, I had no clue it was that bad. But now I'm looking back and all the research that I've done, it ties in completely with core habitats and all these little habitat issues and the, the connectivity issues and... and uh, you go to California, and California for 30 years has had a mountain lion problem, and their deer hunting down there is terrible. And it's because they have extreme densities of mountain lions. And, right. 
you know they couldn't they couldn't jam wolves down the throats of the people of California at that time because they already they were already effective with their mountain lion uh, doing the job for them. So they couldn't handle two apex predators and feed them without having massive impacts. And in Idaho, uh, we we are, had a very liberal uh, wolf hunt or uh, mountain lion hunting season, and uh, they tried several times to shut that down, but were unsuccessful. Um, hound hunting, they tried to shut that down, unsuccessful. So jam the wolf down their throat. They can do it. They use the federal government as their as their draconian tool, and and they jammed it right down our throats. And they're the most prolific breeder of any predator out there. I mean, it just flat multiplies like rabbits. Really? Oh, how many how many litters can a wolf, can wolves have in one year? Well, we were told, uh, taught by the great L. David Meech, another great scientist of the, the wolf profession, that one one litter a year. Well, okay, we bought. And is that allegedly it. only to the alpha male and female? Allegedly, yeah. Well, since that since all that garbage came out, we all started getting wise to it. Started writing our own. Uh, papers on on the subject, and you know we're, we're just your average Joes, you know. And here's academia out there pumping this alpha male, uh, the family unit. The, you know they try to humanize this this dynamic of, of predator, and and through that um, we found we we suspect we haven't actually witnessed, but I have found uh, pups uh, in June that would go 60 plus pounds. I found them in Montana while I was there filming. And in June, a 60-pound pup is pretty hard to believe that a, that a pup was born in June and all of a sudden he's 60 pounds. I mean, wow. that's that's right there is is proof enough for me. But just in, you look in terms of their growth rate and think of it in terms of like your bank account and compound interest. They claim 30 percent, 24. I think 24 was the conservative number. 24 percent growth per year. And they told us that for a decade. Well, while they were telling us that, people were seeing wolves where there never should have been wolves, and that the population was exploding. So we suspect with the abundance of game and food, uh, much of the land is, is connected through uh, forest service land and wilderness areas, that probably 50% growth compound every year. Compound that every single year. And, and here we are, you know, 16, 17 years after it happened. It's well, it's amazing. easy to figure out because once a wolf reaches maturity, you know, they're going to want to try to start their own little uh, pack, you know, so you'll have uh, females and males breaking off and just wandering off. And if there's no other packs to the east of them or to the west of them or to the north of them or to the south of them to hem them in, there's, there's no place else. I mean, they can go anywhere they want. I mean, that's just what bottom line is. Um and then they become the alpha male and alpha female in that territory. I mean, it's not, it's it's not hard. I mean, it's just like it's like think of fire ants in the southwest. You know, the sure. only thing that keeps them in check is pesticides and the cold weather. You know, they just <laughs> go as far as they want. You well, know? they they have uh, they've grown so fast. Um, you know, you figure let's say let's say a conservative number of forty percent that there's you know uh, you have two this year, next year you're gonna have three, and the following year you're gonna have nine. It's going to keep going. It's going to keep growing and growing. But the, the compound growth rate is also compounded by their killing effect. Each wolf kills 24 elk per year just to feed itself. One wolf will kill 24. You know, they use the pack to take it down. But the average is about 24 elk per year to feed it. Then you 
compile on top of that about 24 elk per year um, for sport reflex killing. So that's a roughly roughly 50 wolves per year, or 50 elk per year per wolf, compounded every single year. Okay. Well, not not every wolf is going to be a sport killer, but what you're saying is that's that's kind of what you come up with an average from your observations. Well, the average the average for sport kills what we found um, with watching observing overall elk herds that have diminished. If you if you went with their growth rate averages and you try to extrapolate those into what they would feed upon, and then we're watching the crashes of these elk herds in the low low zone, we lost seven. <clears throat> excuse me. We lost 17,000 elk in a relatively very short period of time. And then in the Yellowstone northern herd, that was 19,600 elk. I believe there's less than 2,000 elk left in that herd. And these are these are the largest herds, uh, uh, you know, one in Idaho and one in Montana. And that's not, that's not counting all the rest of the areas in the state well, that had wolves, just yeah. most visible. Explain to me... With the hundreds of thousands of people that go to Yellowstone every year, explain to me how they cannot help but notice that there's no friggin' elk. Okay. Well, there's it's pretty it's pretty easy, and we didn't figure this out for I, John Walters figured this one out quite a while ago, and he called it coursing. And what what happens is these wolves, you know, they'll pick off uh, elk and and in the herds and you know these little small herds throughout the park. And, and this happens in Idaho as well. But what they'll do is they'll go to several different herds and they'll, they'll work their way in a big circle, picture a big circle, and they're killing they're killing elk. But at the same time, they're herding them. They're moving them together, closer and closer each herd. And now they're down to the point where you might have uh, members of a of elk herd that are from five different herds. So they keep them close to the areas where the roads are. In Yellowstone Park. They're in the grazing areas of Yellowstone Park. They're around the water of Yellowstone Park, so people are naturally going to see the elk. But year after year, I have footage from, I think, 2000, where I think we only saw four four or five elk the whole day in the park. Wow. And and now, I mean, you can literally, I have people call and write me all the time, and they say, look, that was the biggest waste of money. I just talked to a guy last week. He came out. Uh, he runs a uh, uh, turkey decoy uh, outfit out of Virginia, I believe it is. And I, I feel bad because I, I would plug his, I plug the name of his business if I could remember it off the top of my head. But anyway, we were speaking on the phone, and he told me, he says he took his family out here because he had hunted here for 19 years. So he brings his family out from Virginia. They go to the park, and they didn't see one elk. So now, you know, it's all come home to roost. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious now, and that's why you're seeing the top biologists in the country backpedal and, and say, oh, wait a minute. You know, all the things that we necessarily thought were true, like the alpha, alpha theory, that's not true. All the things that we said about their growth dynamic, that's not true either. This tropic cascades, well, that may, you know, that's, that's all outcome-based biology. You know, they're, they're pretty much putting the plausible deniability in there now. But it's already after the fact that we lost millions, if not billions of dollars of economic benefit because of the diminished uh, hunting. I mean, you know, there's, you know there's what outcome-based biology is? Pardon? You know what outcome-based biology is? Sure, they have the answer before they even ask the question. Well, yeah, and then it's just like, all right, let's just throw this crap out there and see what happens, and whatever the outcome <laughs> is, that's what we're going to base our theory on. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. You know, it's like, what's outcome-based biology? Uh, well, we're not really sure what's going to happen, so we're going to make some wild, 
wild-ass hypotheses about what could happen. We're going to throw them in there and see what happens, and then after the after the fact, we're going to rewrite what our original thoughts were, you know, to oh, fit yeah. to fit the model. Well, so these things are spilling out of out of Idaho, and they're they're getting into Washington and Oregon. What what kind of response have you had from the people of Washington and Oregon so far? Five years ago, uh, I, I really didn't have too much contact with the folks. I have some co- connections in eastern Oregon at the time and some folks that live in central Oregon. Those folks were great, and they did everything they could, but they're trying to overpower Portland, and there's no way. I don't even know if you could use a hammer to break through to some of those folks over there. They were just hell-bent on ending all ranching, public land ranching and hunting, so they, they're hard to reach. But the, the hunters in Washington basically told me to go jump off a cliff. They didn't want my help. They can handle it. They thought that it would be a great idea to have a wolf population because then they can hunt them. But what they didn't understand was is once you get these things, it's like a disease. And uh, you cannot... What happened, Scott? I lost you here, dude. Huh. Okay. Well, are you there? Are you still happy? Yeah, what happened to you? I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all right. But uh, the number oh, one no. thing about that... Your phone must be tapped by the government, eh? We're in trouble. Right? <laughs> well, I'm not liked by him, I can okay, tell you this that. Is, this is Bob and Doug McKenzie, and we're talking about donuts, eh? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, so they, you know, those Washington folks, they didn't want anything to do with it because they thought they could hunt them, their way out of it. And the number one thing I tell folks... I try to make them realize is that number one, you cannot manage wolves. So get that out of your get that out of your vocabulary. When you're talking about wolves, you can never ever manage them. Why? We manage wildlife for perpetual populations for hunting. That's what we you know that's what we manage for. When you're managing your your cattle, um, you're manage, managing them so you can have a surplus to go to the market. Right. When you're when you're managing wolves, you're trying to stave off a, a, a impossible uh, task of massive growth. So you the, the proper term there is control. You can't hunt your way out of this once you get them started, and it's, it never ends, and, and the spillover just continues to grow and grow and grow. And so these folks thought that they knew they had the answers. They were uh, misled by people uh, from the hunting community that said, hey, just follow me. I'll, I'll make an agreement with them, and if we just follow along for a couple of years, we'll, we'll, get a, we'll get a chance to hunt them. Well, guess what? Here we are five years later. Uh, there was only a handful of really good guys. Todd Malthus up, up in the Medhow Valley, he was a real good guy fighting his butt off, and, and he tried to warn them, and, and nobody listened. So here we are. We're saying, we told you so, and it's a terrible place to be. It makes you feel sick to your stomach. Well, when when this was all getting ready to happen, I mean, did anybody think about talking to the Canadians about you know what what we were doing? Because those guys, you know, might have just been standing up there shaking their heads, going, "You guys got no idea what you're doing, you know, what you're about ready to do." I mean, you guys. Yeah, got... we talked to them. We talked to them, and they and they said, "You people are so stupid. We'll give you more wolves, all the wolves you want, eh?" Oh, bad. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, you know, they do everything in their power. They poison them. They, they trap them nonstop. They hunt them, and they aerial shoot them from helicopters and planes. Right. But somehow, somehow, Idaho is supposed to be this utopia where we, where wolves will magically stay away from humans and will not affect the wildlife. That was the agreement in Congress when they agreed to this. Number one, it will not affect human use of wildlife or cattle 
private property or, or harm humans. We're there. It's harmed everything. It's harmed cattle, uh, livestock. It's, it's, uh, people have been attacked, myself included, and, uh, and our wildlife population is to the point where the first time in history you have to draw a cow elk tag in the panhandle of Idaho. That's the first time ever since they opened the elk hunting season. You're kidding me. No. And the whole time I'm sitting here telling them, look, you guys don't know what you're doing. You used to be able to buy those over the counter even if you were a non-resident. That's right. It was one of the best places. The whole state used to be world-renowned, one of those hidden secrets where guys from out of state could come here and hunt, harvest a great bull or even a cow and go home with meat every year. Days are over with. Okay, so how many outfitters have have gone out of business. How come those guys aren't screaming bloody murder and screaming at their congressmen and stuff? Boy, I'm glad you asked that. Okay. Um, the number one, they have an organization called IOGA. It was in my notes you gave me, eh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, the IOGA organization, uh, there's a lot of really good people in there, and, and I ha- hate to say it, but there's some bad ones. And they are, and even the good ones are forced by Idaho Fishing Game based on their availability of their, their hunting lease. So they, they can have their, their license revoked. They can be censured by the, by the organization if they do anything that offends Idaho Fishing Game. At one time, we used to have a gal that worked with us somewhat closely. We found out later she wasn't that great of a lady. But um, at the time, she, you know, she was a fairly decent fighter on our side, and she's an outfitter. And she, and she, she would tell me and others, you know, look, I, there's the... The problem is really bad, but in my hunting zone, it's fine. In my hunting zone, everything's fine. So hunters, please come. Please come. Well, the, the organization as a whole didn't come out and tell anybody until they just flat just went under. And I, I, and I don't know if she finally went under or not, but I, she was real close at the last time I spoke with her. And others that I know have gone under, but they're, you know some of those guys are hanging on for everything they can, and they're trying to do whatever they can to to get rid of the problem, to stave off the damage, but ultimately, it's futile. I mean, our, I can't remember the, the actual figure. I got two different figures, but it's in the millions of dollars of losses from out-of-state hunters just this last two years uh, these businesses have done. There's no way they could sell a tag. And I tell out-of-state hunters all the time, I said, anybody that comes to Idaho and hunts elk from out-of-state is either a fool or they're clueless as to what happened. Because it is absolutely uh, almost impossible to come here and get a get a nice bull like you used to ten years ago. Well, what's the solution? Okay, I mean seriously, there's got to be a solution. Um, I think uh, the, the solution is going to be ultimately for Idaho. They're going to be forced. The fishing game department is going to be forced, probably through the help of the the, the uh, well. The solution is to kill all the wolves, and and that sounds harsh. But here's why. Let's say you wanted to, we'll use the word management in their words, you wanted to manage wolves down to the 100 wolves in the whole state, okay, or control them to that point. If you did that, that's fine and dandy. If you said 100 wolves and, and everything's fine, this is the number the federal government wants to stay at. Well, we have thousands of wolves. So what's it going to take to do that? Well, right now we're only killing about 220 wolves a year through a very, very long liberal hunting season. And we're not getting the job done. So we're not even killing 1% of the, the population of wolves. And each year they're compounding. They're growing faster and faster and faster. So 
the state and federal government is going to have to step in. They're going to go, wait, we're going to, we're going to have to take some control measures. And all the, all the lettuce lickers and all those people are going to just come out of their minds because they're going to be forced. The federal government and the fishing game are going to be forced to poison and aerial gun these wolves. And that's the only solution. Even if we got to 100 wolves in the entire state, I don't think that we have the elk to feed those 100 wolves. We don't have we don't have enough elk left. So feed. what are they what are they what are they feeding on now? They're feeding on moose and elk. I mean they're 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 feeding on everything. Dogs. Um, they're feeding on the caribou if they cross the Canadian border. They're feeding on beavers. I have uh, dozens of documented cases where they just eat the crap out of the beavers. And they were supposed to be saving the beavers in Yellowstone if you remember that part too. Yeah. So what exactly what know, exactly was killing the beavers? <laughs> I thought that was mountain men. <laughs> what was killing the beavers? Yeah, right, right. Well, it was so, that beaver weasel. That's what that was. Yeah, that beaver weasel. <laughs> we're going, we're going through, a, we're going through a phase right now where the wolves are seeking other food sources, and and you're going to see um, more and more interaction between humans. Uh, you're going to see more domestic pets killed. You're, and I see, I mean, if you drive through my neighborhood, you see signs on trees and on the on power poles, you know, missing, fluffy, you know. You see it all the time, right. because there's a, there's a there's a collateral damage here. Those wolves are eating everything, and they're actually pulling the bears out of their dens. That's another uh, endangered species here in Idaho, the grizzly bear, and they're killing them, pulling them out of their dens and eating them while they're sleeping. Holy crap! Are you serious? Dead serious. We have documentation of it. Yes. Jeez, now that takes some stones. I don't care what kind of wolf you are. That takes some stones. Well, yeah, and you go in one of those dens, you're you're looking for trouble. Don't poke yeah. the bear. No, exactly. <laughs> well, okay, short of short of the aerial gunning, which I, I completely understand what you're talking about because I, I did a little reading on this stuff up in Canada and it was it was full all out war, you know. I you know what's what's really sad, and I, I don't wish this on anybody, but the thing that's gonna happen that's gonna shock everybody into the reality of what's gonna happen is when a person or persons or a family gets bushwhacked on a trail someplace, you know, by a pack of wolves, and all that's left is a couple pairs of tennis shoes and, and a bloody, you know, handkerchief and a watch and a wallet, you know. And then well, I thought that, go. too. I thought that, too, but you look in California, there's been several people killed by mountain lions, and they've done nothing about it. Well, that's because the mountain lion is a big cat, okay? It's a big kitty, okay? It's <laughs> well, a big and, kitty. You and know? wolves are fluffy puppies. No, no. <laughs> you look at a snarling face of a wolf, and I'll tell you what, there's... It hits a primal chord with people, okay? Oh, yeah. I mean, the wolves were our enemies, and then they became our allies. You know, we domesticated them and eventually turned them into dogs, so they got that going for them. But, you know, you don't have Fido sitting there licking its chops, figuring out which end he's going to start on you first, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think if, you know, the sad part is is when humans are – I reported last spring – a man uh, was walking through Yellowstone. This was not reported by the park. They tried to cover it up. And uh, I was contacted by a close friend of mine that's connected. And uh, he told me, he says, hey, you need to do some investigating. Get on a horn, get a hold of the folks at the park, and start, start digging into the uh, wolf attack in the park. And I said, what? And he said, just start digging. You'll get to the bottom of it. So I did. And I talked to Doug Smith, who is a wolf uh, coordinator in the park, and I talked to all the bigwigs in there, and they got all upset. They said, no, no, we we didn't have a wolf attack. What we had was was a 
female wolf who escorted a man away from the den. Well, by that by the time I got to that point in the conversation, I'd already discovered that the man, yes, indeed, was attacked by wolves. He jumped in the Yellowstone River. Anybody that's been to Yellowstone and seen that river in the springtime, I don't know that I would jump in there faced even with a pack of wolves. That is one hairy river in the, in the spring thaw. Absolutely. And so he, they claimed that the, the man did, you know, he's just being escorted away by the female, but in fact, he was attacked. He tried to use pepper spray. It didn't work. And uh, so his only alternative at that point was to jump in the Yellowstone River. He floated downstream uh, one or two miles, uh, swam to the shore, and was uh, a ranger had stopped and had to treat him for hypothermia. I was going to say one to two miles in that water could kill you real easy. We oh, we rafted that thing, you know, and I, that that river in June is nothing short of holy crap. Hold on, <laughs> you know? yeah, it's big water. Of, yeah, it is, and it's really, 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 really cold. So, what did have you ever interviewed? Like any of these people have been attacked? Um, yeah, in fact, I interviewed a I interviewed a woman a couple years ago um, that was attacked in her driveway. And, uh, it, you know, she didn't actually physically, wasn't physically harmed, but uh, psychologically it is, uh, had its effect on her uh, even to this day. And uh, she had a very, very close call at night walking down her driveway in a snowstorm, and uh, we spent uh, several hours going over the, the story. I put it out there on YouTube so people could see how, how visibly shaken she was even telling the story. Well, it's kind of like you. I mean, where you live out there. Um, for you guys that don't know, Scott lives kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, before we came on the air, he was saying, if it gets a little loud and rowdy in here, it's because I'm bringing the dogs inside because there's wolves out on the property, you know. And yeah, wolves on the property is a big deal. You can't even ride their bikes up and down the freaking road there because of the damn wolves, you know. It's no. insane. <clears throat> no, but they, you know, the, somebody in New York City expects that I should have to live with wolves because they want them. You know, they, their, their number one uh, slogan is, "Hey, buddy, uh, you live you live in those wild places. You better get used to it." Well, I'm sorry, uh, you have gangs in your city. If if that applied to you, then you would remove your police, and then you would deal with the gangs yourself. Yeah, it's, it's just simply number one. Yeah, right. I'll tell you what you need to do is offer to make them a fair swap. Okay, you send us your little punk ass gangs. We'll take care of them. Not a problem. And we'll send you our wolves. They'll take care of you. Not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do. We offer that to them many times, and they say, oh, we, I knew you would say that. <laughs> uh, well, of course you would. It's common sense. And, well, uh, you know, it's just it's nothing short of amazing that uh, these people, they, I don't know if it's just the, the what do you call them, lettuce lickers? Is that what you refer to them as? That'd be one if, of the names. If the, if it's the mentality that they know what's best, you know, these are the same people that say we're harming the planet, so what we should all do is die. You know, the planet mm-hmm. would be better. Okay, why don't you be? Since it's your idea, you be the example setter. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Take the first step. And then all of a sudden things get foggy. No, I have to be here to to play herdsman to the planet. You know, so the rest you have to die. And it's like really, no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, it, and you know, there's a certain there's a certain amount of people that that are benefiting financially. Now, this group of people, you know, we have their ding-dongs that follow the, the teachings of the environmental church. But right. the actual papacy of that church, this this group of people that, that run it, they're making millions of dollars. They're selling books, and they're selling nonprofit organizations where, you know, Jamie Rapport clark 
I think she's upwards of $500,000 a year for Defenders of Wildlife. Oh, come on. That's a non-profit. And she's profiting dearly, and she has been for years. And well, so, you know, you have all these people, but you asked me earlier, I gotta, I gotta, I've been thinking about this all day, and I wanted to tell you about this because it will it will impact you as well, Kelly. One of, the, one of the number one cures for all of this is we need to change our academic system. We need to get rid of these environmental agendas in, in the university systems. And the reason I say that is that if you look, if you look at the uh, uh, Western science agencies, Kansas is a part of that. Now, they, they have their little meetings once a year. They all fly to Hawaii or Alaska on paid trips. These are your commissioners, the people that run your fish and game department. Right. And they talk about things like uh, uh, human dimensions. I don't, have you ever heard of that? Not when it comes to wildlife, no. Okay, there, this is a huge influence and the number one driver behind all of this garbage. It, I don't care if you're talking about the, uh, the, the sand tortoise. All, the, the driver behind all of it is human dimensions would be number one. They teach it out of the University of Colorado. It's an invented science, which basically says that, you know, you have to have a human dimensions department within your agency. So what you're doing is effectively no longer managing wildlife. What you're doing is you're managing humans. You're going you're gonna to manage their movements. You're going to manage how they hunt, when they hunt, and you're going to micromanage the tar out of them. And so within these little associations and academia and, and then within our fishing game departments, those are where the changes need to occur. We need out, outdoorsmen and sportsmen uh, back in those departments. We need them going to school. We need their children going to school and, and continuing our heritage. If we fail to do that, our, our lifestyle and our, our heritage in hunting is over with. That's scary. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's – I hate to say this, but getting the universities to change their ways is you got a better chance of getting hit by an asteroid. Okay, you really do. I mean, they're they're just they're not going to do anything that they're that, that they don't want to do. Universities, you know, I I used to scoff when people would say, "Oh, they're they're the most liberal places on the planet." You know, and then I started thinking back to when I was in college and it it was it was a little weird. Um I just got now. I went straight from high school into the military, and then I did the college thing after. And there was people wandering around that university that, frankly, just offended the crap out of me. But it was that was their right and whatever. And I, I look at it now, and I mean, it's just like a bowl of granola, you know. And the the more liberal and left wing you are, the more mainstream you are in in the campuses today. And that that even that even comes down to a fish and game, like you're talking about, you know, because they're they're there for fish and game and wildlife management. But they've got, you know, two and a half other years of other stuff that they're indoctrinated in by by the universities, and you know, it's 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 like the man-made science of global warming, you know, that that's a pant load, and and that was nothing plain, pure, and simple. But uh, you look you look at where all the the refugees from the former Soviet Union ran to, they ran into the global warming gig. That, that was their last bastion of freedom to do their thing, and and old Al Gore. You know, he got in there and made out like a bandit. Ended up selling the dadgum uh, rights to his TV station to the guys over there in uh, Qatar. You know, and those are real nice people over there. I mean, they're you know, <laughs> we'll connect the dots. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then Al Gore's good buddy Bruce Babbitt is the one that is responsible for wolf introduction. Well, there you go. It's all part and parcel. So they're, they're all connected. Wow. 
Well, what else have you got for us tonight, dude? I've got this this audio of this other show I did earlier this week. I'm going to play, but you know, hey, you're you're the live guest. So you've got more going on. So it can it can play anytime. So. Oh, I don't know what else I can add to it. I just wanted to get some word out there. But I think probably a, a, a last message I'd like to leave everybody is that they have to. It's it's uh, imperative that everybody stay involved in their fishing game. Agencies go to the meetings. Pay attention to what they're doing because. Uh, whether or not you, you like it or not, uh, they're they're changing your the structure of your fishing game department. Washington, Oregon, California, all the western states uh, are are infiltrated uh, very badly with the the green movement, and so it's important for all of us that fund it uh, to stop. Right now, there's a big effort for the, the Nature Conservancy and others, especially in Idaho, to become a part of the management process now. And basically saying that we built the house, you know, the hunters built the house, now they want to move in it. And we're we're resisting that at all costs. And I think everybody across the United States and anywhere you live, you have to stay active and keep an eye on these people because, after all, they are bureaucrats, they are prone to corruption, and they are prone to make sure it's in the best interest for them first. So if they can, if they can make it uh, uh, profitable for themselves, they'll do it. That's basically all I have uh, left. Well, what? when is the next time you're going to be speaking publicly? At what function? And you got some films you're going to be showing. Where's that going to be at? I have a uh, film festival I'll be uh, attending next month uh, in Salt Lake City. And I should have all the details up on the Internet here sometime here in the near future. But uh, we're showing my film, Yellowstone is Dead. I'm in the process of producing another film right now. And uh, this one's going to dig deeper into the corruption, and hopefully I'll have it out by midsummer. You know what would really be cool is if you could find somebody that's in, in the fish and game department up there that's kind of sick of what they're seeing, you know, that's not part of that, that East Coast cabal mentality, that could get you the names and, and the locations of where all these people are at throughout the United States. It's part of that, you know, animal first kind of a thing in our in our little organizations. And... uh God, you know the one thing about cockroaches, they hate the bright light of day. Okay, <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, yeah. put them out there. Put put the names up there. This guy works in this department. This is who he is. This is what he believes. This guy, you know, and why not? Why not? Yeah, we're we're developing that. We do ninety uh, percent of the work that we do is, uh, is is investigative work, and we try to uncover. And we get many requests now from. I mean, the entire country is calling for requests because they're, they're finding the corruption in their own departments. So we try to uncover them. We developed a pretty good way of finding out who they are, and uh, without too much pain and effort, we can we can put some light on them. And that, you're right. That works real good. Well, see, this, this, the key to this, you're a one-man show, okay? You can only do so much. You've only got 24 hours a day, okay? What you need to be able to do is to duplicate what you do and have and show people how to replicate that and duplicate that so they can be little Scott Rockholm clones, you know, they're doing the same thing. I'm serious. I, I mean, wish I could find the people with the motivation. That's, I mean, we have a, I have a, a very good group of people that uh, help me on the investigative part, and uh-huh. by all by all accounts and methods, they're about the same as I am. I just make myself a little more available to the public, and a lot of people don't like to go on the public face. And, yeah. So I go to, the, I'm, we're going to begin this year, we're going to expand, we're going to expand Save Western Wildlife, we're going to grow it more. And uh, we're trying to get throughout the United States, get our at least a chapter or two in each state, and and like you said, we're gonna we're gonna duplicate it that way. Well, you want to find some good recruits, 
I mean, they're even putting their names and numbers out there for you to find. You know, the people that just lost Fluffy and they don't have any idea where she's at, you know, and, and yeah. they find a collar with blood on it and it used to belong to Fluffy. Those people might be, <clears throat> they might have a sense of motivation to help you because they've got skin in the game. All right. Sure. Literally, you know, so. Yeah. Anyway, just a thought, just a thought. <laughs> I'd help you out here all I can. What's a website? If they want to go see where your work's at, what they can do and what they can do if they want to help, uh, what's a website they can go to and find you on? Well, right now we're we're just on Facebook. You can find us at Save Western Wildlife on Facebook. Our website, I'm hoping it'll be done soon. Uh, it takes a lot of effort on the part of my webmaster because it's this is all donated work. So uh, we're we're working out the details. But Save Western Wildlife, you can type that in your Google. Um, over, you know, if you get curious one day, you want to see if our website's up. It should be up fairly soon. Okay. SaveWesternWildlife.org. Okay. All right. I appreciate you coming on tonight, Scott. And, hey, by all means, uh, once your website's up, let me know, and I will give you a link to the show so they can go and find you anytime they want. All right, bud? Thank you. Appreciate it. You take care, my friend. All right. Thank you very much, Scott. Have a good evening, bud. All right. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Scott Rockholm. Um, He's out there fighting the good fight in the middle of the the middle of the boonies, and uh, to be honest with you, that's kind of an ugly, (laughs) ugly thing what's going on out there with him right now. Um, The wolves are killing everything left and right, and it's just it just can't suck enough. But anyway, uh, coming up in just a few seconds, we're going to have the interview that I did with Ted Nugent earlier this week. Um, There's about a ten minute delay once this thing starts, seven to ten minutes, not not long. And then we're gonna it'll go into the live live production. All right. Enjoy the show and we'll still be here. So if you have any questions or anything in the chat room, go ahead and fire them off and I'll try to answer them. And uh here's Ted. Blog Talk Radio. I still believe in the American dream. I still believe you can hear me scream.
<laughs> that pretty much says it all, ladies and gentlemen. That is a song by Ted Nugent called I Still Believe, and um, that is his intro music. Ted will be joining us here in just a few moments for a very special episode. Um, don't know how long he's going to be able to stay with us today. That's completely up to him. He can stay as long or as little as he wants. Um, I've been trying to get him on the air for quite some time, and just been hitting and missing, and finally things kind of came together. And Thanks to one of the gals that, that does his booking window, we're able to put this together today. Um, this will be rebroadcast on Wednesday night, and as many of you know, it'll it'll still be uh, out there to where you can go and get it on uh, the podcast uh, on iTunes or on the on the Kelly Outdoors uh, page here or the Facebook page. They're available all over the place. Um, as many of you know, this the, the topic today is going to be about gun control and gun control legislation and just the complete insanity about what's going on. And there's probably no person out there better qualified to talk about uh, what's going on in the, in the real world in the media than uh, Ted Nugent. All right. The the bottom line is he's he's very well read. He's up to speed on all this stuff, and he says what's on his mind. Uh, I think you know. People have different levels of communication, um, and some people communicate with people of a certain level, and other people communicate with people of a different different kind of category or whatever. I think I think Ted is one of those people that transcends different lines. I mean, he can pretty much talk to anybody. I've talked to, I've listened to him on numerous radio shows over the years, um, discuss various topics that he's very passionate about, and obviously, um, private ownership of guns and the Second Amendment is one of his biggies. You know. Um, and he can communicate with anybody. I mean, and that that is not as easy as you might think. Um, I, I mean, there's some people that they don't understand uh, what what person is trying to say, but some people have the gift of being able to break it down, and and, and people can understand it and, and relate. And I I don't know if it's because it, they're such an eloquent speaker, as much as it is that they're passionate about the subject matter that they're talking about. And they express it in a way that, you know, not only can you understand the words and the language, but you also can uh, appreciate the intensity of, of the emotions involved with the conversation. So, And I think that's what, what Ted brings to the table in a lot of times. Um, he recently was on a TV show uh, with that Pierce Morgan guy, you know, and I got to watch about a 30-second clip of that. And, frankly, I don't know how Ted kept from going across the table and jap-smacking the guy, you know, <laughs> It would have been very tempting, you know, to say the least. Um, but in any event, he's he's been around. He's he's a he's a legend in the in the music industry, um, and he's he's currently he was originally from Detroit. In case you guys don't know this, he's originally from Detroit. Um, he was a serious rocker for a long time. Still is. Uh, his family just recently moved to Texas, uh, and by recently, I mean in the last five years. Um, and he uh, he's a very very outspoken critic of the, of the current administration and the current gun laws and the people that are trying to take, you know, our Second Amendment and trample it. Um, and, I mean, he's he is, I think, the embodiment of what you would probably find a couple hundred years ago in our founding fathers, the people that stood up and said enough is enough and this is right and this is wrong and this is where the line is drawn in the sand. And I think that's that's probably what you get when you're talking to Ted Nugent. I mean, that's that's my interpretation of the guy. You know, he's pretty much of a, I don't want to say a rebel or renegade. I, I think he's hes exactly what this country was was founded on, you know, back when, when our forefathers decided this is going to be it and we're drawing the line in the sand and we're not going to hang out with England anymore. Um, so, 
Anyway, we're waiting for him to call in any time. Now, his his schedule, believe it or not, is just completely crazy. Um, we were able to secure a 3 o'clock or a 310 uh, call-in time for him, and so hopefully we're going to be ready to rip in that area here in just a few minutes. So if you hear me dash away and grab the phone, uh, I really won't be dashing away, but I'll just be locking him in. It will be him because we don't have any other callers coming in this afternoon, uh, just him. So anyway, there's a, there's a lot of activity out there in the Internet uh, as far as the gun laws and stuff. There's I saw some postings on here today on what California is trying to do. Um, only 500 rounds uh, of ammunition can be bought in a year. Um, I, I guess the the crazy crazy laws are trying to pass in different places, just off the off the wall. Um, I heard something the other day, and I don't I don't know how man how accurate this is, but Missouri was talking about passing a law that would require anybody that owns any guns that they deem to be illegal with the new law that they have to turn them in. Uh, they won't be compensated for those. And it's just completely insane. And, I mean, Missouri, you know, you get away from the, the big cities, and you've got a lot of rural, and that ain't going to fly. But what you've got in the big cities is a bunch of um, half-qualified voters, to be honest with you, uh, that they just think, oh, yeah, gun law, that's going to help. You know, now in California, all right, I guess here's our guest. Good afternoon. I'm hoping this is Ted. Yeah, whatever you do, unmute me. This is Ted Nugent calling. How are you doing there, Kelly? Hey, dude, you you are not muted. You are you are live and unplugged. You know, I've got this First Amendment thing going on for 64 years, clean and sober. I cannot be muted. Have you noticed that? I, yeah, I love it. Bro. I'm having so much fun unmuted, it's unnatural. You can't do this in France, by the way. <laughs> That's the problem with France. It's full of France. Have you noticed? One of many, yes. If I, but can I, if I may, if I may, Kelly, on your wonderful radio, get down here, can I... Ted Nugent, can I respectfully sing the uh, French national anthem that Barack Obama wants Americas to sing? By all means. It's all right, this is Ted Nugent, live with my blood brother Kelly, uh, celebrating truth, self-evident truth, and logic and common sense. And uh, I would like to now sing the French national anthem that is now catching on in America. It goes like this. Pretty pathetic, isn't it? It's pathetic. I, I identify. I see. I spotlight cockroaches. That's what the First Amendment is really uh, about: spotlighting cockroaches so the voters can stomp them. The, you know, you know. I've been listening to you fight the good fight for a long time, and I, I've I been doing it forever. I, I, I'm a huge fan from way back in the days when when your guitar was more important than your guns. You know, um, but I, I, I really, I was just telling the listeners out there when I when I listen to you and when I look at you. I mean, you are like a, a breath from the past. I mean, you are the embodiment of what I think our founding fathers were, I, I, and I mean that. I mean, standing up for your individual rights and, you know, don't tread on me kind of a guy. And that's Well, I appreciate that, and believe me, uh, what Ted Nugent speaks about, what I stand for, the way I live uh, is still common and sensible across this land. In fact, you know, you say you're a big fan. Basically, we're all big fans of the truth and logic. We have to use it in our lives to be accountable right. and be productive. So when I speak, I'm not speaking for Ted Nugent, the guitar player. I'm speaking for we the people, the, the people in the asset column, the people that bust our ass to be as productive and be as energized and positive as we can possibly be because we, we cherish our duty to be in the asset column instead of the liability column like the Barack Obama supporters uh, tend to celebrate. So I appreciate that, but believe me, I know it. Well, you know what? When when I see people like you and I, I talk to people Wait like a minute. You, see people like me. Who else is like me? I don't think I've seen anybody else. No, like no, me. no. I mean people that are in the same in the same 
camp. Okay. Yeah, the, believe the, the, All right. Um, <laughs> there are a bunch. I, you know, it depends whether you're speaking musically or politically. <laughs> politically. All right. Well, there's Rand Paul, and there's uh, Mike Rogers, and there's Governor Rick Perry, and Attorney General Greg Abbott, and and uh, Ted Cruz. I could name a bunch of Republicans oh, yeah. that are really tough and on the point, but the, but they're not getting the job done. If there still is a death tax, if Eric Holder is not in jail, then the Republicans aren't doing their job. I agree. I agree. And Eric Holder's the tip of the iceberg as far as filling up that jail cell. Sure, yeah, it's really pathetic. It's an embarrassing time that that, uh, Hillary Clinton is not uh, in shackles someplace being uh, held accountable for the death of four Americans in dangerous areas that not only didn't have proper and sensible security, but that she refused to provide on the anniversary of 9-11. Are you kidding me? What is this? One flew over the cuckoo's nest meets the planet of the apes? This is just downright diabolical what our government is getting away with. Well, you know what? Maybe you can explain this to me, because I know you had to sit there and talk to these folks up in Washington uh, on many occasions. Where is it that they have to say, my good friend on the other side of the aisle? I mean, honest to God, I think a good caning in the Senate would be a real good godsend, you know? Um, I don't just understand that. You know, you're, Kelly, you're asking a very important question, because uh, so when the dust settled, Hillary Clinton got away with the criminality of scolding elected officials whose job it was to ask her where was the security, why did you uh, guide Rice to, to lie, to absolutely lie that the Benghazi attack was based on a video? Are you kidding me? And so the, the hearings are over, and Hillary goes to the bar. She doesn't get behind bars. She goes to the bar, and Republicans kind of, you know, shrug their shoulders and go, well, that wasn't very nice. You've got to be kidding me. You know, if somebody's in my band and I catch them smoking dope, I don't, I don't scold them. I fire them, and then I call the cops. Yeah. That's what, well, I, I just don't understand. And, you know, and then of all people, John McCain, I don't know where he found him. He grew up here in the middle of the night. And said there was a huge cover-up, and now we got that going on. I mean, it's been going on for the longest, but it's just – It really I, is I, a cover-up, and I think what John oh, McCain, how he scolded uh, – uh, what's his name on CNN or, or CBS, whatever it was, Dick Gregory, I think his name is. Yeah. Um, you know, John McCain, uh, he, he does a great job on occasion. He also, unfortunately, does a, a terrible job on occasion. But that moment was certainly the John McCain and the Republicans and, and the we the people elected representatives that I'm dying to see more of. But it's not about just scolding Dick Gregory. It's about getting Eric Holder arrested and finding out why our president can send trillions of dollars to our enemies and send F-16 fighter jets to, to, to Egypt, uh, but somehow we can't drill and, and mine our own energy at home. I mean, I could go on and on and on. The abuse of power, the, the criminal abuse of power, the criminal corruption, the entrenched um, modus operandi of deceit and fraud and out-and-out lying and the smoke and mirrors as manifested very clear and present dangerously by the State of the Union address you know, I, the, the the common sense, logic, pragmatic, self-sufficient, productive American families recoil in horror 
every time this president unleashes his next scam, his next diatribe of of deceit and deception and fraud and just outright lying, I, I, it's just heartbreaking, Kelly. Well, and what what amazes me, and I, and I, I I'm, I'm no genius, trust me, but it amazes me that the people just stand around like sheep and say nothing. Our elected officials, like you said, they stand there and they say nothing. And it's just, it's depressing. And I mean, where a person like you has a, a soapbox you can get up on and talk to millions of people anytime you want to, yeah, the average guy in the street this is, doesn't this have is, that. Yeah, actually this isn't a soapbox, it's a Sherman tank. <laughs> okay. I'm standing on a Sherman tank. Well, let, let me bring a little positive glow for you from the uh, the uh, last best place of freedom and, and self-evident truth, and that's the wonderful Republic of Texas. You know, if you study uh, the bold, straight talk and take-no-crap statements and, and stands of this great Governor Rick Perry and our courageous, constitutionally-driven Attorney General Greg Abbott, and our great con- uh, Congressman Ted Cruz and, and Louis Gohmert and uh, Bill uh, Flores and uh, so many, and Cronin, and even Ron Paul, uh, for the most part. Uh, you really are hearing what we the people need to say. Just the fact that thousands of professional law enforcement, particularly in the sheriff's department across this country, are telling uh, these uh, these freedom-hating, gun-hating, NRA-hating, uh, constitutional and Second Amendment-hating politicians that are continuing to infringe, uh, to violate the Constitution by infringing our Second Amendment rights. Just listen to the brave, courageous, uh, take-a-stand, don't-tread-on-me statements of the heroes of law enforcement and military across this country that will refuse to obey an order or to enforce an order to confiscate weapons from law-abiding American families. So there is a glow of truth and and common sense and constitutionalism that is alive and well in this country, uh, and, and it's being uh, it, it exu- it's exuded by the people in positions of power. So thank God for that. Well, I just I just hope people remember this uh, come the next election when when some of the people that were fudging around on the lines they need to find a new occupation because that's that's the problem we got people in Washington that are too worried about keeping their jobs instead of doing their job, you know. Well, when you listen to the you know, and I I, I am the the most the, the proudest punching bag in the liberal in the history of liberal hysteria. I mean, uh, I I was at the State of the Union address in Washington D.C. the other day. And the the blatant, mind-boggling, soulless, dishonest, unprofessional journalist jihad against me claiming that I threatened to kill the president. Yeah, that would be me, Ted Nugent, who threatened to kill the president at the State of the Union address. Because people who threaten to kill the president are always welcome into the House chambers for the State of the Union address. Are you kidding me? I've, I've read so, that. Well, so the Secret Service conclusion that I threaten no one, that doesn't matter. It matters what Salon.com says or Wikipedia. Right? This wouldn't make up. You know, Alfred Hitchcock wouldn't produce this movie because the birds was at least believable. <laughs> That's a good one. That's true. It is, it is crazy, some of the crazy stuff. I, I, I saw that the next day because, to be honest with you, I forced myself to watch that entire thing, praying and hoping that somebody would stand up and say, liar. 
You know, I was. Well, uh, the whole thing was a lie, you know. But I guess oh, I a, can. It was a joke. I, I guess I can respond most most um, accurately by saying, Kelly, thank God Superman has arrived because I'm so relieved that this incredible, you know, savior in chief is going to end world hunger, stop global warming, save the children, bring about, you know, peace and love throughout the planet, and uh, and make sure that everyone is treated fairly. My goodness, why hasn't anyone done this before? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. This guy is the scam artist, the deceit master. He is the illegitimate dog of Saul Alinsky. Lying, lying, lying. And the brain-dead, soulless, subhuman idiots across this country voted this guy in office and stand up and cheer when he said he's going to make everything fair. Really? You're going you're gonna to make everything fair? Let me see. Now, my guess of fairness would be that those paying all the taxes have to pay more, but those paying none at all can continue to pay none at all. Now, that's the fairness I seek. Yeah. yeah it, it's the a fairy tale. World. It's a fairy tale. The guy's you know, a bad it, man. Your, uh, your Facebook page, i got to tell you, your Facebook page was lit up today by folks posting on there about stuff with the Supreme Court not getting documents that were filed in that whole birther thing. Yeah, it's, it, it's 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 as loony as loony could possibly be. I mean, you stop and think about you know just to take this Derner guy, this uh, this murderous ex-cop in in California. If you read his manifesto, you know who he listed as his heroes: this cop murderer, this vile criminal, devil murderer, was praising everybody that hates me. Isn't that coincidental <laughs> that the the devil supports those who don't like Ted Nugent, which proves I'm such a sweetheart? Uh, well, you know so what? You don't have to look far for evidence to support uh, what is uh, known to be true in this country. Well, here's here's a food for thought. If one of these nut jobs that went out and committed one of these heinous crimes with a weapon recently happened to own at any time or have ever heard a Ted Nugent song at any time in their life, they they could probably blame you for being the the functionary behind their actions. Well, actually, people did blame me because uh, oh, I, know. I understand he was wearing Levi's at the time, and that's my pant of choice. <laughs> and he'd seen an electric guitar. Even um, though I'm a Wrangler guy, but anyhow. Um, <laughs> but, or, or, or a Carhartt, or what's this new uh, mountain khakis. But anyhow, yeah, it gets that stupid. Uh, if you just listen to anybody who has a problem with Ted Nugent, don't don't contest them. Let them speak, and you are witnessing someone who has got a sun-baked turd for a brain. I am so proud. Of the people that hate me, and I—I I think I'm a pretty good guy. I, I think I'm pretty a-ok, but I cannot grasp how good I must be <laughs> to cause such idiots to hate me like that. They—they they don't understand what what you're doing. I mean, it's because you're not—you're not in the popular mainstream thought. Then I won't sing that sheet, that French national right. anthem. You know. And you're not—and you're not towing the line. I mean, it's just. You are, and I'm just, I'm just telling you. I mean, when I think about our founding fathers and stuff, you're the kind of guy that was standing there in the crowd, making sure they they dotted the i's and crossed the t's the right way, because there wasn't just one Ted Nugent; there was a whole nation of them at that point in time. Well, there you know? still is a bunch of us out here, but remember, I've said it. You know, I write for uh, uh, WorldNet Daily. I would welcome people to come to WorldNetDaily.com, and certainly. I have dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of articles I've written for WashingtonTimes.com, HumanEvents.com, 
and uh, Newsmax.com, and I write for a number of sporting publications. But if you come to my website, JerryGarcia.com, I actually, I, I actually had a guy ask me, "What's your website, Ted?" And I said, TomPetty.com. Uh, <laughs> no, if you actually, if you actually come to my website, which would be TedNugent.com. Um, and yeah, I have a talk back, but I believe you can uh, access the archival drama of the uh, self-evident truth gushing pieces that I've written over the years, including two New York Times bestsellers. But come to TedNugent.com and really examine what's going on in the truth about working hard, playing hard America, because I know with this, the support I get from really great, great Americans, the heroes of military and law enforcement, the families and the ranchers and the farmers and the cops and the teachers and the and the and the, the, the grocery store guy and the and the hardware guy and the dry cleaning guy and the the, the bagel guy. I mean, just people that set their alarm clock and put their heart and soul into being the very best that they can be, being as productive as they can possibly be, challenging themselves every day to be an asset to their family, their neighborhood, their fellow man, and the environment. Uh, I am so proud that those are the people that contact me literally by the minute every day, Kelly, and I know that I represent the most positive, the most confident the most productive Americans that are, are alive. So I couldn't be more proud of that. Absolutely. I do have a question for you. One of the listeners, uh, he's out in the state of California, and um, he would like to know what your thoughts are about what's going on out there in California right now with the new gun laws are trying to pass. Well, the, the California elected officials have certainly lost their soul. I mean, only the guilty need to feel guilty because there are a few uh, Republicans out there that still have some T-Rex scrotum material going on, but they haven't wielded it effectively enough yet because ISIS was questioning the whole Fast and Furious thing, but Eric Holder's not in shackles yet, so um, until Eric Holder's in prison, uh, the, 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 the elected officials haven't done their job. But the gun owners of California are doing God's work out there. I've got a lot of friends out there, just the greatest Americans you'd ever want to meet live in California all across the state. My son, my daughter live out there. Uh, all, a lot of my hunting buddies, my fellow musicians live out there. And they know that there's this Nazi movement, there's this insanity where you can own a certain type of rifle um, with the exact same rate of fire, the exact same caliber, exact same functionality as one that's banned. But as long as your rifle can have a magazine that is detachable by a tool and a bullet qualifies as a legal tool, so I, I can't make this stuff up. So you got the Barbara Boxers, the Diane Feinsteins, the Jerry Browns, the... Uh, the, uh, the the Nancy Pelosi's are you kidding me? These people hate freedom. They hate self sufficiency. They are so corrupt and power abusing. Uh, you you got some subhuman squalling. You don't need to read this. You need to sign it. That happens in the United States of America by the Speaker of the House by Nancy Pelosi, and this lady's not in jail yet. Are you oh, kidding no. me? So what's happening in California is diabolical. It's 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 a, it's a criminal. Uh, the very laws are criminal. The banning of proper firepower for families to protect their, themselves with. Yeah, these people are brain dead making these laws, just like going on with Andrew Cuomo and Mayor Bloomberg and what's going on in New York and California and Illinois. It's just it's just dastardly what's going on. So I'm hoping that we the people, you know, once again engage in this sacred experiment, self-government, and send these uh, corrupt politicians packing. Well, can I ask you a real quick question? When I when I hear the passion in your voice about this subject, okay, 
I, I know you're not pushing this agenda to make a buck. That's not even the I'm pushing this agenda to losing a buck. Who are you kidding? Exactly. Exactly. Um where do you where do you find your motivation? I mean to to keep fighting the good fight. Because I think a lot of us just get tired of beating our head on the wall. Kelly, I I got to tell you, the answer to that question could not be more profound. I communicate with, on an hourly basis, throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the year, uh, with the heroes of the U.S. military. When I was at, when I was at the House Chambers for the State of the Union address and walking the halls of Congress and across the streets and then all the major, you know, the Capitol in Washington D.C. Every uniform cop, every undercover cop, every federal agent with a little earpiece in their ear, they all saw me, their eyes lit up, and they all stopped what they were doing, and they ran over and thanked me and looked around and went, Ted, God bless you, man. Thanks for saying what I wish I could say, man. Keep it up, man. Keep raising hell. We're with you all the way. Do you think that I need any more confidence-building support than those who enforce our laws and swear under oath to enforce and abide by and protect and serve the U.S. Constitution, you think I need any more inspiration than that, particularly in the most dynamic form, those families and fellow U.S. military warriors and law enforcement warriors who join me to salute the flag and pray around a flag-draped coffin, and their families have me perform the national anthem or sing one of my hunting songs or just take the children of a of a dead warrior on a on a hunting or a fishing trip and thank me for standing up for common sense in the American way. Yeah, the the critics hate of me rolls off my back like personal hygiene off of Michael Moore. Uh <laughs> I I could not possibly be more confident that I'm standing up for the most Superior human beings in the world, and those are the heroes of the U.S. military who have had their legs and their arms and their eyes and their skin blown off, serving and, and, and fulfilling their oath to the U.S. Constitution, while the community organizer, Acorn, Chicago gangster-in-chief, abuses the very Constitution that these military warriors serve and protect. So I don't need any more uh, support than that, and it drives me to make sure I use the freedoms has provided at such great sacrifice by the heroes of the military, by the warriors who give everything so that I can be a free American as guidelined by the U.S. Constitution Bill of Rights. I need no more inspiration than that. Great. Great answer. I appreciate that. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those guys that used to wear the uniform. Um, and uh, I tell you what, there's, there was times when I was in the service that I would look at the commander-in-chief and it was like, oh, that person is not worthy of my of my you know dedication. But the yeah, it's a hard Let me leave you home. with this, Kelly. Uh, I, number one, thank you, uh, thank you for your common sense, thank you for uh, spreading the word and, and getting prodding people to get rid of this horrible scourge, this curse of apathy. We salute you, and I appreciate the time on your show. But let me leave you with this heartbreaking situation that America uh, should be most offended by, uh, even with all the different offenses that are taking place today. The President of the United States, Barack Hussein Obama, goes to the Vietnam Memorial Wall, and he claims to say a prayer and pay tribute and honor 58,000 dead American warriors who fought communism, who died, who gave their lives fighting communism. And then this son-of-a-bitch president hires and appoints and associates with communists. 
Who can't see that diabolical offense? Who can't see that when he takes all his speech guidance, all his policy guidance from Valerie Jarrett and Van Jones and Bill Ayers and Reverend Wright and other and, and Cass Sunstein appointed as the czar, the 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 regulatory czar. Check out the czars under President Obama. He he appoints and hires and associates with communists. The same communists that 58,000 American warriors died fighting. Our president hangs out with. It doesn't get any more diabolical than that. Yep, I agree. All right, man, I'm going to run. God bless you. Okay, and thank you. Uh, I, I look forward to uh, getting back with you again sometime, Kelly. All right, brother, be good. God Take care. You. All right, good night. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Ted Nugent. And um, I, I guess you just <laughs> you want to know what Ted has to say. There you go. He pretty much said it. Um, this show is going to be cataloged. It will be available. Okay. That, <clears throat> hey, guys, we just got a minute or two left here. That was the show from Monday afternoon. Um, I want to publicly say, Ted, thanks a lot for coming on. It was a it was a great, great opportunity to, to talk to you. Um, I appreciate it. Um, that's the one thing I've always enjoyed about Mr. Nugent, and that is when you're not sure where he, where he stands uh, on, on an issue, just listen to him, and uh, you'll find out. So um, anyway, that show is available on iTunes. It's also available in our archives. Um, he, he's, you know what? We need a lot more like him. We need a lot more like him out there saying what they got to say and saying it loud and saying it proud. All right, because we're about ready to lose our rights in this country in so many ways. It's not even funny, and it's just it's a sad thing. So anyway, I'm gonna. I've been on here for an hour and a half, and I'm gonna sign off here. I'm gonna tell the guys in the chat room good night. I appreciate it. Jeff uh, from New Zealand made it in finally. Uh, he's had a rough weekend over there. If you guys get a chance, go to my website or my Facebook page after Kelly's Calls or Kelly Outdoors or, yeah, Kelly Outdoors, Kelly's Calls, and check out the, the picture he put out there. Um, I guess him and five of his buddies, uh, or maybe there's just five of them, they went out there, and uh, there's no limit on geese in uh, in New Zealand, and I guess they, they whacked 300 of them, um, and that was in one, 365 geese. In one weekend, that was amazing, and so, anyhow, that's a lot of geese. That's a lot of cleaning geese. So, anyway, you guys have a good evening, and we will see you next week. I think next week we're going to have some uh, wood carvers on, decoy guys, um, the guys that, that do the old-fashioned decoys out of wood, and they make the the ones out of the wood and the wire and the canvas, and they also make them, uh, you know, out of the solid wood and stuff, the the regular size as far as well as the miniatures. Um, that's going to be something we're going to be doing. Uh, I think next week for sure. I'm not well. I'm not actually sure. So, in any event, thanks a lot for coming out tonight. I appreciate it, and hope you guys have a great evening. All right. Good night.